then he said a sentence which really stuck on me. And it was like, if you want to get certified, start low. Start with CCNA, get a feeling for it, find out if you like it or not. If you like that and want to dig deeper, go to the CCMP. And afterwards, if you are still interested and if you want to dig really deep, then go and get your CCIE. That sentence stuck to me. Hello and welcome to the Cisco Learning Network podcast. That's Christian Kellerer, a network engineer who achieved the CCIE Enterprise Infrastructure Certification in 2021. Christian took the time to speak with community manager Matt Saunders and consulting systems engineer Micheline Murphy about his certification journey, a journey that displays remarkable perseverance and yet can still be used as a model for others on their own certification journeys. This will be the first of a multi-episode series telling the story of how Christian eventually earned his CCIE. But first, Christian talks about how he discovered his passion for technology and the unlikely place of his small German town. So Christian, Germany, right? Born and raised? Well, I was born and raised in the south of Germany in a little town between Stuttgart and Ulm. Right in the middle, I have three siblings, actually, an older brother who is also working, let's say not in the IT industry, but in the design industry. And I have a younger brother who is directly working in the IT industry. And my sister has absolutely nothing to do with the IT industry at all. She is living in Austria at the moment. Very nice. And in the small town growing up, what was your access to technology like? Like in terms of not just like using technology as a consumer, right? That too, but like knowledge sharing, like anybody in your young life that was into tech in a kind of a true technical sense? One of my cousins was into especially computers and stuff like that. He's, I guess, around 10 years older than me. And he got his computer, I think in the early nineties. I got my first computer actually in 95 and I was around six, six or something like that. And that's when it started to kick off and no, but that's when it really took off. Yeah. And this was, I guess, around 95 and that interest stuck with me and it continued to develop over the years and 30 years later, that's where we are today. Yeah. So we're also here with Cisco VIP, Micheline Murphy. And Micheline, I think between the two of us, we'll refrain from commenting on our age in the year of 1995. <laughs> Definitely refraining. <laughs> All right. Yes, we won't, we won't discuss what we were doing in the year of 1995 compared to, <laughs> to you at that point, Christian. <laughs> exactly. But I do remember about that time when I bought a computer and it was the first time I bought a computer with just my own money. It was the largest check I remember writing to date. When people still wrote checks way back then, I remember being super shocked by it, so. So you had no one to yell at you for breaking it other than yourself. Yep, it was all my own to break. <laughs> 
That's great. And did that start the itch for you, Christian? Was that when you really were started to get curious about tech or did that come a little bit later on? I thought I became serious about tech actually very early in 91 or 92 when I was actually three or four years old. So the thing we got back then at Christmas was a Game Boy. The first one, the original one, the gray one. Well, that's when I actually started to get interested in technology. It was just gaming back then, but when I got the PC and when our family got the PC in 95, that's when it started to take off, yeah. And was it mostly gaming at first in 95 as well? Yeah, mostly because back then, you know, internet wasn't that popular and it was mostly gaming related and to try out what's possible with that machine or what is not possible, how to break it, how to fix it, stuff like that. And I can remember my dad was angry as hell when I destroyed it over and over and over and he had to bring it to the repair shop and had to fix it again and stuff like that. It was a pretty wild ride for my parents, money-wise, especially because it was, I can remember it was horribly expensive. So I think the computer itself cost around, if you can converted to euros it's about like 3,000 4,000 euros nowadays and the repair was like I think a few hundred euros each time so they invested a lot of money in me which I'm really grateful from a standpoint but yeah that's how it is and that's how it started actually yeah I'm wondering if your interest in really getting technical right diving deep into kind of really understanding how the technology works was a bit of an act of self-preservation in that sense then in order to avoid you know being in too much trouble with the parents i'm imagining maybe having to try to figure out how to self-service some of the repair work absolutely and that happened i think around one or two years after we got the pc and when i finally found out how to reinstall windows itself from scratch again and that's when the repairs went down and the learning went up yeah that's quite beautiful, actually. I'm always interested in how that kind of works out for people and how some of our choices in life and our career paths and whatnot kind of manifest themselves. You know, I'm always trying to encourage my kids, for example, to make mistakes, right? And to break things and learn how to figure it out from there and fix it from there. So that's a great example of that. Absolutely. So Christian, when did you start moving away from computers and into route switching networking? Wow, that was a long time after that. <laughs> I started my apprenticeship in 2011 and it's a three-year apprenticeship in Germany. So it's a dual system where you go to school a part of the time and another part of the time you work at the company. This whole apprenticeship system is pretty unique to Germany. It's called a dual education. Dual education in Germany and other countries is a way of training for your future occupation. It combines apprenticeships and companies with a vocational education and a vocational school as one combined course. By pursuing a dual vocational training program, the idea is that you get more opportunities for on-the-job training and work experience. The programs usually last two to three and a half years, during which time you get theoretical knowledge and practical experience. That's when it really started to kick off. At the beginning, I was very much into server stuff and not really exposed to networking. And that started sometime after my apprenticeship. So that was in 2014, 2015, when I moved to my new team and when they needed someone to replace switches and stuff like that. And that's when I started with the whole networking stuff. And I was working with some pretty old Catalyst stuff back then, which need to replace. And at first it was just a config switch. like back up the config, pull out the old Catalyst, put in the new catalyst and put on the old config. 
Let's say this way. I had actually no clue what I was doing on the console back then. So I was just coping over the configuration file and I was looking around and thought like, yeah, that could be right, that could be right. Called a colleague of mine, asked him like, what do I have to do? And he was like, ah, do this, do that. Yeah. And that's when he started, yeah. I feel like that's basically another example of learning by doing, but also by hands-on trial and error break fix. And almost another example of learning how to fix to survive and not be then further in trouble with the bosses, <laughs> the powers that be. Exactly, because uh, the stuff I replaced was actually a production network. So it had to work after the replacement. So I had to be careful. I wasn't allowed to mess around, trying to make the best out of it. Yeah? I was going to say, Micheline, I feel like maybe we should put a disclaimer at this point in the episode that <laughs> we do not recommend <laughs> in production environments. <laughs> what, what would you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. So nobody recommends taking down the production environment, learning the stuff that way. I'm laughing because when I started out and I got some equipment and it's sitting basically on a floor and I was like terrified of it. For the longest time, I didn't want to touch it because I was scared I was going to break something. So this whole idea of encouraging people to fail really resonates with me because it took me a while just to get over my own fear of, oh, you know, I can't do anything with this equipment because I'm going to break it and I don't know how to fix it. You just kind of got to take yourself in hand and get over that. Yeah, I agree. That's a beautiful point. And Christian, it sounds like at that point, like you were pretty much going down the path of learning networking? I'd say so, yeah. The funny thing actually is, after I finished my apprenticeship, they asked me what I wanted to do, and I was like, ah, I don't know, maybe service stuff, maybe virtualization stuff. And I told them, and that is actually the truth, I told them, in no way I want to do networking. That was really what I told them at the end of my apprenticeship, and they were okay, that's, that's fine for us. Join their team, and I think like six or 12 months later that networking thing started and looking back from today's point of view it was the best decision ever seriously you need a network if you want the wireless you need a network if you want to do client stuff you need a network and you know the network guys are always needed maybe some things go away or come and go with the time but the network will be always a core element of this whole id infrastructure Before we get in full on into certification preparation, you mentioned, so about the beginning of 2017, huge network project comes up for a customer that you worked for since your apprenticeship days. How'd you feel at that point about getting involved with such a substantial project at that point in your career at a high level? Well, the project you are mentioning was a pretty big network renewal from the core up to the access layer. It was pretty much a complete redesign. And it was at the very same customer. I just exchanged the switches a few years back. I was still a pretty, let's say, a pretty low level network engineer back then. The project was really big and we had to replace the Catalyst 6500, the old PIX firewall stuff. And it was a complete makeover. Because I was working for this customer, I got into the project team and I was kind of like a network support engineer. I was really proud to be in the project. The project was great because I was able to learn so much things there, like Cisco I, Cisco Prime, NXOS from the Nexus and stuff like that. So yeah, I was proud to be a part of this project. 
But at that moment, I realized also how little I knew at that point. That's all I can say about a project because the, the rest of the stuff is unfortunately under NDA. Identifying your gaps and your weaknesses and knowledge areas. Would you say that was one of the motivating factors for focusing on learning and certifications paths? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would say so, because if you notice how little you know, you want to start to improve. I realized I know nearly nothing about networking, how it really works, how all those things interact with each other. So I wanted to start to improve my skills and also my knowledge. And that's when I started for the first time to think about getting certifications and learning stuff. Yeah, And I think that project really, really had a big impact on that back then. Yeah, I could see that. Micheline, for yourself and your experience going through your certifications, correct me if I'm wrong, CCNP currently level? Yep, that's where I'm at. I was going to ask Christian, did you feel like your drive to learn started with that big project or was that something that you felt like was something that you had had from before or something you developed afterwards? Because I know that's one of the things I know for myself I really had to rely on to drive through a certification process, especially if you're not participating in a, some kind of class that results in the certification at the end of it. So as I said, this project had a really big impact on this whole getting certified and learning new stuff because I actually worked with a guy who is a really brilliant guy and he, he was a CCIE back then since I th think 17 years and he still is a CCIE today. He's really a good friend of mine nowadays. The project on one hand and this guy that I work with on the other hand were mainly the two reasons why I started to get certified and why I started with the learning and stuff like that. My whole life I was always curious about how things work. For me it was never enough to say okay it works okay I don't want to know that. I always wanted to know how something works in every aspect. I can remember a story from when I was a little kid. I got a present. It was like a machine which you had to move a ball through. And I always wanted to know how this machine works and stuff like that. So I disassembled the machine. I was never ever able to reassemble it again. But I think that was sometime in the 90s. That was already a, a thing where I noticed, okay, I want to know how technical stuff works in order to use it. Yeah. So while Christian was working on a big project for his company, he met someone that helped him realize that starting a journey in certifications might be the right choice. It's not just a bit of a mentor looking back. The guy I worked with, Gerrit, he's a brilliant engineer. He's a brilliant human being. He's very kind, not arrogant at all. I have to mention the arrogant thing because I worked with some people before the project who were certified at a certain point and I always felt like they were looking down on me. I didn't like that. And he was different. He was really different. He was an external contractor because we needed someone for the project and within our company we had excellent people but really didn't find anyone who had time for a few months to get out of other projects and solely focus on our project and that's when we found Garrett and from today's point of view he was definitely the person who, who mentored me and lighted the fire in me for the whole networking stuff. He's excellent and he was never arrogant and he taught me so much stuff like during this whole project, he configured everything, uh, whatever. And he was always like, okay, come with me. I show you this. Come with me. I show you that. Okay, today we are starting to work with Cisco Eyes. The first time I saw Cisco Eyes, like everyone else, you open the Eyes web user interface and you are like, 
okay, what do I have to do? This looks so complicated. And he was like, that's no problem. I walk you through it. I tell you where all the important things are, what you need to know at this point. That's what he was like. And as I said, he's a brilliant human being. He's very kind, not arrogant at all. Now we are really good friends. That's all I can say about him. When did it start to become, hey, you should really think about this certification program as well? So the story behind that is funny. Because of the big project we worked together, there was one evening we were unboxing a ton of access points. And somehow we talked about getting certified and I was like, yeah, tell me your CCIE story. And he talked a little bit about his CCIE journey. And he was like, well, when I did my CCIE back then, I had still the two-day lab. I was like, what is the two-day lab? And he was like, yeah, back then the lab was two days and we had to do this and that and wiring and, and stuff like that. All the stuff you don't do anymore nowadays since many, many, many years. And I was like, all right, okay. Then he said a sentence which really stuck on me. And it was like, if you want to get certified, start low. Start with CCNA. Get a feeling for it, find out if you like it or not. If you like that and want to dig deeper, go to the CCMP. And afterwards, if you are still interested and if you want to dig really deep, then go and get your CCIE. That sentence stuck to me. It really stuck to me. And it was like, yeah, that sounds like a reasonable plan. But back then, I didn't knew that I would end up as a CCIE one day. Because if you are starting with getting certified and starting with the CCNA, you are like, okay, great, I got the CCNA. Now I, I'm on it. After you pass the CCMP, you think, okay, I got the CCMP. What's next? Yeah, that's the story. Is that exactly the path that you followed, would you say? You went CCNA, let's see if I can do this and see if I can master these topics. And then from there, you, you got the itch, you got bit with the, the bug. Pretty much, yeah. So I got my CCNA in 2018, four years after my apprenticeship and around four years after I started in the networking field. When I did the CCNA, I noticed, ah, okay, that stuff is interesting to me. I really want to dig deep on that because that's stuff that interests me. After that, I did the CCMP and we all know what I did after that, the CCIE. But I followed the plan to start at a low level with the CCNA, then doing the CCNP, because back then the CCNA was the prerequisite for the CCNP. And after that, I did the CCIE, which funnily enough, the CCNP was never the prerequisite for the CCIE. So you could dive right into the CCIE, but you never were able back then to dive right into the CCNP. And I think following that steps, which I mean, doing first the associate level, after that doing the professional level, and then the expert level is only logical because the whole topics, the technologies build up on each other. And also the difficulty of the technologies and the level you need to know, the depth you need to know all this stuff builds up on each other. For me, there was really no other way to do that. Yeah. Micheline, would you say that's fair for your experience as well? <laughs> I know we have your full story captured in a couple of great podcast episodes already, but you can't boil the ocean all at once, right? Would you say that that was kind of how you approached it as well? That, let me let me tackle this first. <laughs> I am laughing because the first exam I actually passed was the old route exam for the CCNP. I bungled that one. <laughs> So I totally said, I'm going to go for the CCNP. I started studying for the CCNP. Now, mind you, 
I did not know the difference between a switch and a router. I just realized I just got a lot of studying to do. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, I think that Christian's mentor did him a world of service by saying, hey, start here. Here's this logical progression that, you know, I guess I bucked some trends. I eventually passed the CCMP, and at the time, there was the prereq to get the CCNA, and I'm like, oh, I, I gotta go back and get this. So I did it totally backwards, which I don't recommend for anybody. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, those two experiences put together is perfect, brilliantly illustrates one of the purposes of this episode, right? And of telling this story is so that we help folks avoid compounding pain later on in their path. So. Yeah. Don't be like me. <laughs> <laughs> What's really interesting to me is that you said you didn't know the difference between a router and a switch. I know. I was at exactly at the same point. I didn't knew the difference between it. When I found out, I was, ah, all right. That's, that's the difference. I got it. I think it's hilarious, though, that it's like the circle of life because these days there's not that much difference between a router and a switch anymore because switches that you buy these days are multi-layer. <laughs> I am mentoring somebody in my office right now talking about mentors. And he asked me the question, well, what is the difference between a router and a switch? And I knew he was not asking about layer two versus layer three. He was asking about what is the technical difference between a multi-layer switch and a router? You know, the answer now is considerably different than when I asked it. And I want to go back and correct just one thing that you said, Micheline. You said, don't be like me. And I just have to say, in many ways, be like Micheline. <laughs> <laughs> However, for the context of this, listen to Christian's mentor yes. and start with that foundation. I've actually been advising an up-and-coming high school graduate as well. And I was emphasizing that point heavily with him just yesterday to nail the foundations because he's going to pursue computer science in college nail the foundations first, take the time that it takes so that it takes less time later. Yeah. Now, mind you, I did have somebody tell me that I should nail the foundation first because whether or not you have a CCNA or you just nail the foundations first, you don't progress unless you've really got it down. So, you know, all of the basic fundamental concepts of routing and switching or security or whatever you happen to go in, Take the time to learn those really, really well first before you advance. Because unless you do that, everything else you build on top of that is just going to fall down. I want to kick something in here. I remember from my apprenticeship when I was at school all the time. And although I was doing an apprenticeship which is focused on the technical aspect of the IT, not on the development aspect, we had a development class. And in the first year, we started with the basics. And there were a certain amount of people in our class who either didn't want to know the basics or didn't like development. And what we noticed in the upcoming, in the second year, all those people who, who were to learn the development basics had a very hard time to understand what the teachers were talking about in the second year. There were a lot of people who failed there. Yeah, if you don't understand the basics, you can't go forward. You got to do your push-ups. Don't skip leg day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of foundation, before we go further, challenges, preparation, tools, resources available to you, confidence going into the exam itself. Walk us through that just a little bit. Did you have good resources? Did you have to search? How was that? 
How'd you feel going into the exam? Did you pass the first time? I'll ask you 10 questions before I stop talking and let you answer. Go. <laughs> okay, so I started preparing for the CCNA in early 2018. As studying resources, I had the Cisco e-learning courses for the ICND-1 and ICND-2 exams. The Interconnecting Cisco Networking Devices, or ICND-1 and 2 exams that Christian just mentioned, were Cisco's two entry-level examinations for the CCNA certification before the portfolio change in February of 2020. After earning the ICND-1, you earned the Cisco Certified Entry Networking Technician, or CSENT certification, and also fulfilled the prerequisite to take the ICND-2. Then, if you passed the ICND-2, the CCNA was yours. Nowadays, the CCNA is unified, but back then, those were two single exams. So I had the Cisco e-learning courses for those, and I relied heavily on the Cisco documentation, the configuration guides and stuff like that, the white papers, and that was my learning material back then. So I have a question to ask you, because I didn't start reading white papers until much later on. So I'm curious, who told you, or how did you get hooked on white papers to start reading at the CCNA level? Because of that big project we had the year before that. So during that project, I had to do some stuff, which my CCIE told me, but I didn't want to annoy him with every little detail. So and that's when I started to go on the Cisco website, grab the documentation, and read about feature X or Y, or why does it interact this way? How does it work at all? And, and stuff like that. And I started reading the Cisco documentation and white papers earlier than I started studying for the CCNA, actually. If you don't mind, I also want to take us back just for a quick moment on the documentation standpoint and just endorse that. There's a highly underrated resource for learning and certifications pursuits. Read the documentation. Study guides, online videos, etc. Read the documentation as well. I agree on what you said, read that documentation. And for me, the key moment was, I think when I configured NAT for the first time back then, and I configured it and over and over, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And I was like, why, why doesn't it work? And then I found out in, in the documentation, it said, well, if you put the lock keyword on the access list, that's not supported and NAT doesn't work. And I was like, uh -huh. That's why it doesn't work sometimes. All right. And funny enough, this story comes up from time to time on the learning network. I think I answered it twice in the last few months. That's something that really stuck to me. NAT doesn't work with the log keyword on the ACL. Yeah, the log keyword. I feel like that was a question on one of my exams at one point in time. That log keyword question that's been around for quite a while. The problem is if you don't read the Cisco documentation, you don't know that because you can configure it in the CLI. It's just a normal access list. Huh? I think that it's great that you talk about the white papers as being a great source of information. And I think that for myself, when I'm deep diving into a subject, I'll start out with like, you know, really high level materials like textbooks or articles or podcasts and things like that to kind of give me that overall feeling, what it's about, and then I will definitely use the white papers to dive deep. I'm curious to know from you, Christian, though, when you started out reading white papers on the advice of your mentor, did you have a hard time when you first started out understanding what they were, or, or did you find that that was an easy to access resource? That's a really good question. I think that without fundamental networking knowledge, it's 
pretty hard to understand the white papers. They are really detailed on stuff and all the configuration stuff. But if you read the explanations and look at the graphics and all this stuff that's on that white paper, any of those pages, it doesn't work if you don't understand the fundamentals. So I noticed that when I said the nut stuff or when I was configuring spanning tree, trying to understand MST or stuff like that, and I was reading through the white paper and was like, what? The combination from today's standpoint, I think that for someone who is starting with this whole certification path, I would say the best combination is the official cert guides combined with the white papers, combined with the learning network, combined with the Cisco validated design guides, especially for all the newer technologies like SD-WAN and SD-Access. Some e-learning courses, some YouTube stuff, some blog posts, whatever, is the best resource you can have combine every possible single source. Also a thing on a learning network that I write really often, don't rely on a single source. Never ever rely on a single source. You wanna do the NCORE exam, the CCND NCORE exam. Someone asked that not that long ago, is the OCG enough? No, it isn't enough. Never trust on that. One thing that's really important to understand about the OCGs is they are study guides. They're not official full courses. They're not exam preparation documents. They're not exam preparation books. They don't say reading this book will fully prepare you for an exam. They are a guide for helping you to study as a part of your preparation for an exam. After Christian had discovered multiple ways to study for the CCNA exam, he got to work preparing with all of the resources you just heard about. E-learning courses, exam topics, white papers, the Cisco Learning Network. But just as his studies were beginning to pick up steam, something happened that could have taken away his motivation completely. Sometime in early May 2018, I got pretty sick. I had a serious virus infection, which not only affected my heart, but also my inner organs. And I had to rush myself into the hospital. I was first at my doctor and then my doctor was like, okay, go immediately to the hospital. So I rushed myself into the hospital and had to stay there for like 10 days. Back then, they really didn't know what I had. They had to do many, 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 many blood samples checks here, checks there. I wasn't able or wasn't allowed to leave my bed in the hospital actually, because every time when I was lying around in the bed, my pulse was at like 90, which is for lying around already pretty high. But when I got out of bed, just standing for like two, three seconds, my pulse went up to 140. I was in the hospital, wasn't allowed to do anything except eating. I had to lie around in the bed for like 10 days. So that was a personal challenge. But it was also good on the other hand, because now I know what I didn't have. And I had much time to learn or study for the CCNA, actually. I told my parents, hey, bring over my laptop. And they had pretty decent Wi-Fi in the hospital. So if they serve it lemons, you have to make juice out of it. And that was pretty much the biggest challenge, not only during the CCNA, but during the whole year. And after my hospital, I had like 
three or four weeks at home I was on sick leave because I had to take some pills so my heart rate goes down. But it was really, really eye-opening how fragile we are. So yeah, I think that was my biggest personal personal challenge during that time. The material itself, well, up to this day, I still prefer switching over routing. I don't know why. Maybe because I started with that back then when I did my first networking stuff, but up until today, I really prefer switching over routing. I love the Catalyst. It's great. I also love ISR and ISR platforms, but I really prefer the Catalyst over everything else. Yeah. That's funny. Man, I'm glad the health thing got better because that you're right. The fragility could have went the opposite direction. Despite this hospital visit diminishing his initial motivation, Christian endured. He studied in the hospital and then out of it. When I set the exam, the first one, the ICND one, I was like, well, those questions are interesting. What's that? What do you want to know? Oh, I never learned that. Hmm. What now? And I think that's just like as everyone else. At least that's for me like that. Every time I sit for an exam, especially the Cisco exams, I'm like, oh, I might fail this one. And when I'm 30 minutes into the exam, I'm like, okay, I definitely failed this one. But the funny thing is when I'm at that point, I don't care anymore. Somehow my mind goes crazy at that point. Then I'm going to the next question and I'm always looking, okay, I got like, I don't know, 60 minutes left. I have that amount of questions left. Let's, let's read everything slowly and think about it. And well, let's take an educated guess. And somehow it worked up until today. But when I did the ICND-1 exam and also when I did the ICND-2 exam, I was pretty, pretty sure during the exam that I will fail, definitely. And I was really surprised when the end screen, after you did the last question and you hit the end exam button, you get this page that everyone knows and this old school Pearson view guy, which says either you failed or you passed. In my case, it was pass the first one on the first try and pass the second one on the first try. I would say, looking back from today's point of view, it was partially skill. The bigger part was luck, definitely. The only exam I was pretty sure I'm going to pass was the switch exam for the CCMP RS back then, because switching was my thing. So I went into the exam, I nailed that down, I passed it. And back then, they still had a score report. They had the cut score and they had the min score, and I nailed it, but just a bare minimum above the min score. Funnily enough, the route exam, I was pretty sure I would fail. I had a higher score than on the switch exam, which didn't make any sense to me because I had to guess on a great amount of questions. Interesting. Two things I would say there is, you said a little bit of knowledge, a lot of luck, and I'll add perseverance. And I think that's a big part of everything too, is keep going. I would say so, yeah. If you are into the exam, and even if you are sure or think that you are going to fail, Take your time and finish this exam. Read every question. Try to answer it as good as possible. No matter if you know the topic pretty well or not, read it exactly. What do they want from me? Do they want this? Do they want that? Analyze the question. Think about what they want from you. 
and then answer it as good as you can, even if you don't know the topic at all, because sometimes you can take guesses from topics which are familiar with it. Or if you know the surface of a topic and the question, ah, that could be answer, uh, 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 do your best. Never think about quitting the exam. Never give up, because at the end, you may have a little bit amount of luck and you may pass. But giving up is a waste of money. That's it for our first part of Christian Kellerer's story. If you'd like to know when the next episode is released, please subscribe to the Cisco Learning Network podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. We're also featured on the Cisco Learning Network site itself, and we're proud to be on the Cisco U as well. If you'd like to learn more about Christian's story or find any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit the Cisco Learning Network at www.ciscolearningnetwork.com. There, you can find all kinds of resources, study guides, training videos, and an entire community ready to help and support you in your certification journey. Thanks for listening.